0: And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This scene of Jesus and his disciples is one of the most intimate pictures that we get of Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus, the creator of the universe, God incarnate makes two requests of his friends and of his father, and both of them are denied. Jesus pours out his heart and is told no. Well, good morning. Morning. Welcome to Peninsula Bible Church. I'll add my welcome to others. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you, if you're newer here, please introduce yourself to me. I'd love to meet you. We actually host regular uh, lunches at various pastors' houses for newer folks to the church. And my wife and I are hosting one this afternoon. So if you'd like to join us for lunch and don't have plans, we'd love to have you come up after the service and I'll tell you how to do that. I want to start by telling you a story about the perfect job. So... When I was in seminary, I had previously worked for Oracle doing product management, designing software. And when I went to seminary, I moved to Dallas, but Oracle let me keep my job and work half time remotely. So I worked from Dallas, and it was great. It was an incredible provision from God. But over time, I started to feel, uh, some of you may relate to this, just lonely working remotely. Uh, I I longed to be around people, and I became frustrated just with the amount I was able to contribute working half-time. And so when a customer whom I had met at a conference talked to me and said, hey, we'd really love for someone local to help us implement your software, it seemed perfect. Uh, They were going to pay me twice as much. Uh, I was going to work with a local team. The hours were going to be flexible. It was the perfect job opportunity. And I still remember what restaurant I was sitting at when I got the call on my phone and the hiring manager said, well, we have decided to go a different direction. And I was crushed. I had completely set my hearts on this job. I felt like I'd put myself out there. It was going to be so much better. And I was denied. I'm sure none of you have ever been denied. um, But the few that have... How how does it feel? How does it feel when you want something really badly, when you've asked for something, when you've put yourself out there, you've, you've taken a risk, and you're told no. You get that big red stamp, Denied on your request. That's such a sinking feeling. You just feel so kind of closed down and shut off. Well, this morning, we're going to see how Jesus responds to that feeling for himself. As Alma said, we're in the middle of our series on Lent. We've called this series Suffering Servant, Conquering King because we've picked seven passages throughout the book of Mark that highlight these two themes and show how Jesus embodied both of these seemingly opposite ideas. The passage you heard read just at the beginning of this sermon was the prayer that Jesus prayed from the Garden of Gethsemane. This would have been um, an olive grove that was very near the city of Jerusalem. A bunch of us saw it recently in November when we took a trip to Israel. The tree in the garden, still today, that's 2,000 years old, that was probably there when, when Jesus was there. Really powerful to see that. So Jesus went through with his disciples and he poured out his heart. He asked for things that he desperately wanted to see happen. He was told no, but somehow Jesus was able to to still walk forward, to still be courageous, to still be faithful, even in the midst of having his request denied. And that's what we really want to try to understand this morning. We're going to look at this, and on one level, we're just going to be in awe of Jesus. How Could he do this? We're going to worship the Son of God who has such faith and such vulnerability. But we're also going to ask how Jesus' life can be replicated in us. What does it look like to follow him? How do we be willing to ask God and submit to his will at the same time? This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because I feel like it shows us a side of Jesus that we don't normally see. And I personally just resonate with Jesus's, uh, just the struggle to, to bring his life before the fathers, to walk through difficult things. I find it incredibly encouraging and inspiring. So I hope that you will as well. As we study this passage, we're going we're to gonna kind of look at it through three different angles. First, we're going to look at the requests that Jesus made. And then we're going to look at his willingness to submit to his Father. And then we'll turn our attention to the disciples and see how they responded when all of this was going on. So uh, five times Jesus speaks in this passage. Five times we heard him say something. And each of those is a request. Four times to his disciples, once to his father. He's not preaching or teaching. He's not proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. He's not asking people to repent. He's making personal requests of those in his life who are closest to him. So we're going to first start by looking at the requests he makes of the disciples. In the beginning, he asks them three different things. First, he says, sit here while I pray. Then he asks them to remain here and watch. And finally, he says, watch and pray. Now this is a different side of Jesus than what we normally see. This is a vulnerable, uh, almost weak, almost needy picture of Christ. He's turning to the people around him and he's just asking for their companionship. Jesus, the Son of God, turns to his friends because he's about to go through something really difficult and he just asks them, can you just be with me? Can you just walk alongside of me into this difficult situation? I don't know if that seems crazy to you, but it seems crazy to me that God himself, incarnate Messiah on earth, would need his friends like that. That he would reveal that side of himself in vulnerability and weakness. He's not asking for them to do anything. He's not asking for them to fix anything. He just wants their companionship. Sit here, watch, remain, be with me as I struggle through what's about to happen. And I think this is amazing because we know that feeling of wanting people around us, of needing the support of our friends. We we resonate with that. We know what it's like to just have something difficult and want people to support us. But I think it's also hard for a lot of us to ask for help when we need it. We want to be independent. We want to be competent. We want to be confident. We want to do it on our own. And so that ability to turn to someone else and just say, Would you help me? It's hard for many of us. I was counseling a couple once that was going through a hard time, and um, the husband had kind of taken on a bunch of stuff that that wasn't doing a great job of. You know, balls were dropping. Things weren't going well. And I asked him, what would it look like to ask your wife for help? And he looked at me and said, I could never do that. I could never ask my wife for help. I think some of us have a really hard time getting vulnerable, expressing our weakness, our need for the people in our life, and asking them to help us. But Jesus was able to. The all powerful God who had no needs was still able, as a human, to just say, Friends, would you be with me? Now, Jesus doesn't just ask his friends for something, he also asks his Father. In the next breath, we see him turning to his father and pouring out his needs to God. We read first a description of what he asks for and then the actual quote. So first we read, he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And then we hear Jesus praying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Now, Jesus uses two words here to express this. He talks about the hour and the cup. He asks if the hour would pass from him, and yet a few verses later, we read the hour has come. And so this is how we know that his request is denied. He asks if the hour would pass, but instead it came. He also talks about the cup, and he asks for the cup to be removed from him. This is an image we've already heard about. A few chapters previous, his disciples had asked if they could sit with him in glory. And he asked them, this is a Mark 10, 38, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? They said they were. And so he said, you will drink that cup. But now he's asking the father to take away the cup. It seems almost as if he's changed his mind. The cool thing about this passage is that throughout the book of Mark, we've heard about Jesus praying. We've heard that he goes away and he prays by himself, that he goes to the mountain, he goes to the wilderness. But here's the first place in the book of Mark that we hear the words that he says. We get to listen in on Jesus praying to the Father. And what he asks for, it makes no sense. It's crazy. He asks God to change the plan for saving the world. See, all of the history of history has led to this moment. Ever since the garden, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, God has begun a plan that involves the people of Israel, that involves the kings, that involves the prophets. All of it lands on Jesus, and eventually Jesus would bear the sins of the world to the cross and die. All of this has been put in place. Everything has gone according to plan. We're right before the moment it's about to climax. And Jesus says, could we change things up? Could we... Can you take the cup from me? Can we do it a different way? That's mind-boggling. Theologically, it's just totally breaks breaks our minds to think, how could Jesus be asking for this? There's a thing that um, liberal scholars that that try and figure out which parts of the Bible are authentic, are real, and which parts were added later. One of the tools they use to figure this out is they they try and say, "Well, well, if it's crazy, If no one would have ever added it, it must be original. And this is one of those passages they say, this absolutely happened because nobody would think to make this up. The idea that Jesus would ask this is so crazy that it must have actually happened. Think about what Jesus is doing. Now, we can learn a lot about life and the world from this. We we can just wonder at Jesus' humanity, that that, that he was able to express that. We can think about what it means theologically. But one of the things I think we can take away is just a recognition that Jesus felt comfortable asking for anything. The one thing it seemed like, well, no, I mean, (laughs) you can ask for something, but don't ask that God change his plan that's been in place for thousands of years. Like, you can't ask for that. That's what Jesus asked for. And if Jesus can do that, maybe we can too. Maybe we can ask for what we want. Nothing is off limits. Now, at first glance, you might say, well, that's easy. I'm always asking God for what I want. That's what I do all day. I'm asking for this. I'm asking for that. I'm asking for healing. I'm asking for the job. I'm asking for guidance. I'm asking for a parking spot. (laughs) I pray a lot for parking spots. Anybody else pray a lot? Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot of prayer in parking lots. Uh, So we might think, oh, we always ask for what we want. And that that might be true. But I think there's also a part of us that asks for the surface stuff, but but maybe hides what's deeper. That we're willing to ask for the things that seem obvious, but those things that we feel like, oh, I could never ask for that. Or God would never answer that prayer. We, We hide. We hold ourselves back. And yet Jesus was able to completely open himself up in vulnerability to his Father and ask for what he wanted. Listen to how the author of Hebrews describes this. This is Hebrews 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus was able to offer up loud prayers with tears. And notice that the author of Hebrews says he was heard, but the answer was no. God heard his prayers, but he didn't say yes to his request. And that's what carries us into the next idea. How could Jesus be willing to put himself out there so vulnerably, so completely, when I think he he might have known the answer was gonna be no. And yet he was still able to ask. We've seen how Jesus passionately asks for what he wants. Now we're gonna see how he willingly submits to God's plan. I suggested that some of us have trouble asking for what we want. We, we hold ourselves back. We hide our true requests from God. And I think that's true. A lot of us do that. But if we don't do that, if we're not hiding our requests, the other thing we sometimes do is we demand from God. Instead of asking God for what we want, and, and if you're not familiar, when you ask something, you're opening yourself up to a yes or a no answer. That's what asking looks like. When you ask and you will only accept yes as an answer that's called a demand and that's what many of us do with god i know i do that at times where we think we're asking but we're really saying god you had better do this or else we never finish the sentence because there's nothing we can do against god but we feel it or else something i'll be really mad at you god if you don't do what i want you to do in this request and that's what's remarkable about jesus that in this moment, he asks for what he wants, but in the same breath, he submits to the will of the Father. This is recorded with this very simple phrase. We read, Jesus says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Eight words in Greek, translated literally, it would be, but not what I desire, but what you. But not what I desire, but what you. This resonates with how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. If you remember in the Lord's Prayer, one of the phrases is, may your will be done on earth. May your will be done on earth. That's a prayer that I have taken to regularly praying uh, most days. And when I say those words, what I mean by them is it's, a, it's an active admission that I'm asking for God's will over and above my own. May your will be That's the emphasis. May your will be done on earth. God is inviting us to recognize that his will is better. Now, I would love it if my will lines up with God's will, and sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But Jesus is able to do this, the asking and the submitting, together. And that's what I want to understand. How is he able to do that? And I It's a bit of a speculation, but I think the reason Jesus was able to submit is because he was so grounded in his relationship with the Father that he knew the Father's will was the best. He had such confidence in God's will that submitting to it seemed like a natural thing to do. Now, to illustrate what I mean, I need a volunteer from the congregation Somebody, I'm going to ask you to come up here. I'm going to ask you a few questions. They're easy questions. Um, one requirement is you need to have a driver's license. So um, anybody willing to be my, my volunteer for the morning? I had to pick on someone in the first service. Don't make me do that. All right, Julie. Julie was one of the ones I might have picked anyway, so I knew I could count on her. So um, the point of this illustration is to really try to get us inside the mind of Jesus to understand what it is that, um, that he thought, and by doing this, I'm going um, to ask Julie a few questions. Carding you. I'm carding you. Okay, yeah, good. Driver's okay. license. Yes, indeed. She has an active driver's license. Thank you. Yes, yes. Thank you for, for showing me that. Okay. okay. <laughs> I didn't um, actually need to see it. But, oh, um, I thought you did. Okay. But I mean, that's great. It, it, it's even better. Okay. So why don't, you, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Julie Chen. I have a license. She does. <laughs> All right. So uh, first question. Um, in your vehicle, in your car, how yeah. many pedals does it have? OK. One, two. Two, not counting the, um, the brake, you Right, know the, the yeah. parking brake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that threw us off for service. So let's just forget yeah. about the parking brake. Yeah. That's, I've got some traumatic memories of the parking brake situation. Two pedals, OK. Two pedals in her car. So here's the key question. When you want to stop, which pedal do you press? The one on the left. The one on the left. So I want us all to recognize what's going on here. Uh, Julie is submitting to the will of the car manufacturer every time she drives her car. And I'd like to applaud her for that. I mean, that's... I learned that it's a basic driving skill. Yeah, you, you are exercising incredible submission Are you ever tempted not to submit? Are you ever like, I really want to stop using the right pedal? No, I'm highly motivated to use the correct pedal. Highly motivated? (laughs) Could you help us understand that that motivation? What what highly motivates you to use the left pedal? There have been times in my driving history where I mistakenly used the wrong pedal with unfortunate results. Unfortunate results. (laughs) I'm guessing there are some stories behind those. Uh, no, results. I would call them near misses. Near misses. Well, I'm glad they were near misses. Yes, well, I was I'm glad, glad too. Misses. Right. Okay, so what I'm understanding is you are pretty confident all the time that when you want to stop, pressing the left pedal will do that. And you're never tempted just, just for kicks, just because you want to be rebellious. I am not tempted. Okay. Great, thank you. Let's thank Julie. So what I think we've seen is that Julie has such confidence that pressing the left pedal will achieve her desired results that she is never tempted not to submit. I mean, that's amazing, right? She always submits to the will of the car manufacturer. You guys are probably way more tempted to press the wrong pedal um, than she is. But I think this is what was going on for Jesus in that he knew so surely, so confidently that the will of the Father was the will that would be best for him and for the world, that submitting to that will was natural, was the obvious thing to do. I don't think Jesus was agonized in the garden because of his submission. I think he was agonized because of the grief, because of the pain he was about to experience. But I think his submission was grounded in who he knew the father to be. And I think that gives us the freedom then to follow that model, to ask and submit, to ask and submit. Now, if you have to submit to someone who you don't trust, that's a really difficult thing to do that requires an enormous amount of willpower to say, I don't trust this person. I don't trust this car manufacturer. They may have switched up the pedals on me, but I'm going to force myself and grit my teeth to submit because it's the right thing to do. That's just miserable. No wonder we don't like submission if that's what we think it is. But when we're confident that this is the way things work, that if we don't submit, then there might be, uh, how did Julie say? Unfortunate events <laughs> that might result. Then it makes all the world in the sense to submit. If we really believe, I mean, if we believe that God created this world and everything in it, created us, gave us life, if we count ourselves as followers of Jesus and we understand that we've put our faith in him and he has redeemed us and he has plans for us and guides us, that his will is ultimately going to lead to our best life, our joyful following in his plan. If we believe that, why would we ever want not to submit? Submitting to God's will should be a no-brainer. So for Jesus to be able to say, Father, can we do it a different way? But I know that your will is the best. Makes complete sense. And that's the pattern, that's the path that we can walk in. So if you're having trouble with God's will, don't force yourself to submit to a God you don't trust in. Deepen your relationship with God. Pour out your heart to him walk with him, learn to trust him, and submission will come naturally. The Christian life is full of submission. Following Jesus involves submitting to God, submitting to authorities, submitting to each other, submitting all over the place. This is a key part of what it means to follow Jesus. But when you trust God, it's not that crazy. It makes all the sense in the world. I think this is what motivated Jesus. I think this is how he was able to do that. But he still found out that when you submit to the Father, that can be a lonely place. That the people around you don't always come with you. So we've looked at Jesus' request, his, his passion pouring out his heart. We've looked at his submission, how willingly he submits to the Father. Now we're going to take a look at the disciples. How did they respond as all of this was unfolding? Three times, Jesus comes back to the disciples and finds them asleep. Starting off in verse 37, and he came and found them sleeping. Verse 40, and he again came and found them sleeping. And he came the third time to them and said, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Now this is not a good look for the disciples. Jesus asked them something very simple. He poured out his heart to his friends. Would you watch and pray? Would you just stay with me? Three times they fell asleep. Three times they said, no. We're not willing to stay awake with you. And what's amazing to me about this scene is that we know that Jesus prayed loudly. The author of Hebrews told us that. We know that they could probably hear him because we have the words that he prayed recorded. And so Jesus is over here praying with loud supplications and tears, Father, would you take the cup away from me? And over here, the disciples are like, Jesus, could you keep it down? We're, you know, they're putting in their earplugs so they can take a nap. Somehow they're able to sleep three times as their Lord and friend is going through something incredibly painful. And you can hear that disappointment in Jesus' voice when, when he talks to them, Simon, could you not stay awake with me for one hour? One of the most significant moments in history is about to take place. The the theological weight of this event is so heavy. Jesus is wrestling with the plan of God for the salvation of creation. Everything has been leading up to this moment. It's about to climax. He's asking for a different way. The Father's going to say no. So much is going on. And his friends can't keep their eyes open. And I think we're meant to sympathize with them on one level, Because many of us know that feeling. I think you've probably had that feeling where you've stayed up late or it's jet lag or you've been driving for a long time and your eyes feel like a million pounds. Your lids just want to close. Some of you are feeling it right now. You just want to fall asleep. Would he stop talking so I can go to sleep? You know that feeling of fighting sleep. And so we understand the disciples here but I think we're also meant to be shocked at them. How could you? Could you not stay awake for one hour with your Lord and friend? And then if we put ourselves in their place, we could ask, are we like that too? Are huge, theologically important things happening in the world around us, and yet we're just falling asleep a few feet away? So the question comes to us, what are you sleeping through? What are you sleeping through? What is God doing in this world? What is he doing in the Bay Area? What is he doing in your life, in the lives of your friends, your your coworkers? What massive theological things are underway in terms of God's plan for the world? And you just can't keep your eyes open to pay attention. Are you sleeping through the work of God? Jesus says when he comes to them, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think when Jesus says that, several commentators have observed that he's describing his own experience, that he too has a willing spirit, but he's experiencing in himself the weakness of the flesh. And so something that we can relate to, but his encouragement to them, I find interesting, it's to avoid the temptation rather than fight it. He tells them to avoid temptation rather than fight it. Don't put yourself in the place where you might be tempted. Watch and pray so that you may not fall to temptation. And that makes a lot of sense. Because if if your goal is to lose weight, it would be really stupid to say, I'm going to go on a week-long cruise, and I'm going to just walk past that buffet 10 times a day and exercise self-discipline that's my goal for losing weight, right? Like, I'm going to put myself in the worst possible tempting place and show how strong I am. No, like, just don't do that. <laughs> Make it easier on yourself. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't try to fight temptation, avoid it. It's like the prayer, lead us not into temptation. Help us stay in a place where it's easier to stay awake, where people are talking about what God is doing, where we're aware of it, where we're serving. And so we see it, put ourselves in a place where the work of God is front and center and you can see it and watch and pray and pay attention. And so Jesus' exhortation to them, instead of falling asleep, he tells them to do two things, watch and pray. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He models what he's telling them to do. Jesus is about to face a really difficult thing. So he goes and he watches and he prays. And he invites his disciples along with him. Watch and pray. For us, that means trying to open our eyes to what God is doing. To what he's doing in the world, to, to things you may not understand, to ask questions, to seek out situations where God might be working and put yourself in the midst of them. Watch and pray. Trust God, rely on him in the midst of it, but watch out for what he may be doing. Don't sleep through the work of God. Watch and pray. Let's think back to that job that I didn't get my sense of disappointment and frustration. i put myself out there, I'd made myself vulnerable, i got gotten my hopes up, and that crashing sense of disappointment where everything came down. I, I didn't get what I wanted and I felt like the bottom had fallen out. This pattern that Jesus gives us in Gethsemane is a powerful one for how to live with our desires while trusting God, while submitting ourselves to his will. We ask, we submit, we watch, and we pray. It's a great pattern for life. We ask with all of our heart. We pour ourselves out. We don't hold back or hide because we're afraid that God won't hear us. But we submit. We trust that God's plan is the right plan. We trust Even more so, we just trust God as our Father to care for us. We watch for what He's doing. What is He doing in the world? What is He doing in our lives? We pay attention and we pray. We pray that He would fill us, that He would empower us, that He would walk with us, and that we would be able to serve Him in this world. I'm going to give us the chance right now to put a little bit of this into practice. I'm going to give you some space in prayer to ask God for something that you want. Maybe it's something you've been asking him for for a long time already. Maybe it's a new thing. Maybe it's something that's deep that you haven't allowed yourself to ask yet. I'm gonna open us in prayer. I'm gonna give you some space and time uh, in the quiet of your heart to to, to lay yourself out before God. And then I'm gonna call us back together and have us together express our submission to God by saying, may your will be done will repeat those words together as a way of closing out our prayer. So why don't you go ahead and stand, um, and if you want to do something with your body that puts yourself in a posture of request or submission, you can hold your hands out, you can raise them up, um, whatever feels comfortable to you, feel free to do something like that. I'll open us in prayer, and then I'll give you space to come before the Father. God, uh, we marvel at this picture of Jesus, the Son of God, creator of the universe, expressing his need to his friends and his Father. We think of that moment in time when he asked you, when he laid himself bare before you with a ridiculous request, and yet he was confident enough in who you are to ask you. And in your love and your wisdom, you said no, but but he trusted you Pray that you would help us to follow that lead, to follow in his footsteps, to trust you enough to ask, and to trust you enough to submit. So we, we come before you now today as a as a group of people and we in the quiet of our hearts we, we ask you for these things that we want. God, we do trust you. We trust your plan. We trust your heart, your character. And so having asked for what we want, we now come before you as your people and submit to your will. May your will be done. Let's say it together. May your will be done. One more time. May your will be done. And a final time. May your will be done.